Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Oh, we love ourselves some pets here at Animal Radio. We, uh, You know, they're our family, pretty much. We're crazy about them. You look in our wallets, if you have a wallet, on our phones, even on our phones, we have all pictures of our animals. No pictures of relatives or anything <laughs> like that. We just love them a lot. And there's somebody that thinks that might actually be a problem. Really? He says we're too attached to our pets. Never. How can that be possible? I I know. know. But he's making a big stink, and we're having him on the show today that's coming up in our second hour. This first hour, a salute to the birds. You know, we talk cats, we talk uh, pot-bellied pigs, we talk dogs, all kinds, but we rarely focus on the birds. And, well, you know, Joey's a bird owner, or should I say, Joey's bird bird owns... Him, yeah, right. bird dad. Yeah, yeah, I'm bird dad. Gurney, your birdie, who we birdie. think is about 40 years old, or we're not really sure how old. And sometimes when you bring Gurney in, Gurney's very vocal. She talks a lot. My my bird is extremely intelligent, um, and probably probably more so than any dog that I've ever had. Um, she has Gurney has. If I had to compare the mentality to a human, I would say between a three and a five-year-old. Um, it's not that I actually went out and taught the bird to do anything. The bird just picked up certain things. The bird <laughs> understands what I'm saying. The what? bird understands come. The bird understands go to your cage. I mean, this is all things that, you know, I mean, I didn't have to work with her. She just picked it up um, and... You know, she knows when she does right. She knows when she does wrong. And, yeah, there definitely is a special bond, I'm going to tell you, that humans and and, and birds um, have because I don't know. I mean, and, and this just might be me, but I think that if I ever had to get rid of her, which I would never, um, it would almost be like um, you getting a divorce or losing a mate um, because I, I see the interaction that we have. Um, and other people that have birds, basically the same thing. So it's, it's, it, it is a bond that they developed with you. How long have you had her now? She was six. What I know best is she was six when I, when I got her. Okay. And how long ago? And I was 19 when I got her. And you're what, 85 now, yeah, Joey? Yeah, 85. I'm 53. So I'm 53. <laughs> what would you say the smartest thing that Gurney has ever done? Maybe something that freaked you out. Okay. I'm going to tell you, um, Maybe not the smartest thing, but it was definitely um, so. A friend of mine, she for some reason she needs to be the one that has to be center of attention. So she doesn't like when um, you know when there's kids around because usually kids you know to get the center of attention. So a friend of mine, um, her son came over, and at the time I'm going to say the son was probably about four years old. And we were in the kitchen talking. The son was watching TV in the living room, and Gurney's usually out. And Gurney um, was was in the living room too. And, and the little boy kept coming in, saying that the bird's chasing him, biting him. And we go in, and the bird would be standing on its cage <laughs> and, and looking at us. And um, it's fun. And, and and now Gurney doesn't bite anyone. So and this was in early stages. And, um, okay, so he went back, and, and then he would come back in. So every time we would come in, the bird would be on the cage. So we spied, and we watched, and the bird would wait for you to go in the other room. And we watched Gurney crawl down the cage <laughs> and run up to him, bite him on the shoe, and then go back <laughs> on the cage real quick. And we seen her. Um, the other thing is, is I used to, um, at times, um, when you don't want her out, 
we would put a lock on the cage. And actually, I'm sorry, before we put the lock on the cage, I would just latch it. And then all of a sudden, Gurney would be out. So I knew Gurney knew how to unlatch the cage and get out. So I put one of those little um, luggage um, locks on it. But I kept the key in it so I didn't lose it. Well, the bird learned how to turn the key, take the lock off, and get out. So, you know, so yeah, smart bird. And, she, and, and she'll never poop on, on the floor. But to be quite honest with you, if you mess with her, she will come up in front of you, squat down, and shoot you with poop. Yes, I've, we've witnessed it a few times when a friend of mine was messing with her, and she never poops on the floor. She don't poop on you, and she went right on his leg, and he said, oh, my God, I think she's going to poop on And when he <laughs> said it, she and she didn't do it once, she did it twice. <laughs> Showed him, yep. taught him a lesson. Yes, yes, she does. She does. She does it when she gets mad. We find it out in somebody. There is a parrot sanctuary, probably the only one of its kind. Located where? Do you know where it is located? It's located in Los Angeles, in L.A. It's, yes, and it's called Serenity Park. Parrots, of course, they live a long life, so they may outlive you. Sometimes parrots end up in the sanctuary because of that very situation, and now they're using these parrots to help veterans with PTSD. Actually, they're helping each other, and we're going to find out a little bit about that coming up this hour right here on Animal Radio. Uh, Lori, what are you working on for this hour? Well, there's a new report out about some old complaints against a big manufacturer of some different pet foods, several different major, major brands uh, that got in some trouble, but we're just now finding out about it thanks to the Freedom of Information Act. We'll tell you maybe some things you didn't want to know about your pet's pet food, depending on the brand you feed. Surprise! Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, that's on the way. If you want to talk to Dr. Debbie right now or Joey Villani, one 405 8405 Let's see. Which one are we going to? Let's go to line... Two. Okay, Todd. Hey, Todd. I just... She didn't tell me which one to go to. I just... <laughs> is this Todd? Yes, sir. How you doing? Good. How are you doing, Todd? Very good. I'm very good. I had a question for Dr. Debbie. Okay. Well, hey, I'm right here. Excellent. I have got an African gray that allows us to live in our house with him. Uh, we love our little <laughs> birdie. Isn't that the truth, though? <laughs> His name is Tiki. We've had him about three years now. Bought him in South Florida. Moved up here to mm-hmm. North Carolina. When we first got him, love him. Adorable little pet would love to be loved and his head scratched and all that. And he's developed a bad habit of uh, suckering you in with his low head down, and you come in, and then he bites. He bites good and hard. Mm-hmm. And we can't get him through the nipping stage, and it's not just a nip. He draws blood. Yes. Oh, well, and this is a, a big problem. These guys are very clever. And like you said, uh, he's permitting you to live in his home, so he is patterning your behavior to that of which he desires. Now, I have to ask you, do, do you guys handle him as far as does he sit on your shoulder? Do you have him out interacting, or is he more um, a, a bird you don't handle a whole lot? Um, he's, he's handled a lot. I wouldn't put him on my shoulder because I like my earlobes. But we do. <laughs> he's got a, we have a, a little tree branch that we have on wheels. I mean, he's part of the family. We've got many critters in our house. We have two dogs, five cats, a Euromastic, and an iguana. So he's a okay. part of our family. He's he's right in the living room. He's part of everything. He's super intelligent. Picks up wording and sounds. I can never tell if my phone's ringing or the front doorbell's going off because he likes <laughs> to mess with us. He's super cool, and he could have such a super cool life if he was not drawing blood all the time. I get it. 
the big challenge here is that when birds do these kind of behaviors, especially when we have problem biting, we have to really kind of back up and look before this behavior happens. And you said that it kind of starts where he kind of looks cute and coy and drops his head down and wants a little petting. If that is what precedes most of these bite attempts, we need to actually kind of intervene and not give in to that behavior. He's doing that, sets up the pattern for you to get bit. We need to try to find something else to redirect his behavior so we don't continue this pattern. So really it is a matter of kind of taking control of some of the uh, the basic commands when it comes to, to birds. And that is, that's kind of going back to the basics of, you know, perching, the up commands, the down commands, and having you be more in control of his world rather than the other way around. Now, if it's a matter of your fingers are going to get destroyed in the process and you're going to be having cuticles bleeding and uh, fingernails coming off and things like that, we don't want that to happen. So we want you to be comfortable and we want you to feel confident as you're working with him. So if you're going to be asking him to come out of the cage or getting him up on your finger, we want you to be doing that comfortably. If if you can't do that, then we use a perch as kind of a a substitute. Um, But I really, when he does that little cute, coy little thing, the last thing you want to do is give in, scratch that head. And, and a lot of birds, you know, these kind of cuddling behaviors, they're very much a pair bonding behavior. So that's what birds do in the wild when they've kind of got their mate. And that's a very sexual, a very bonding experience. So in some cases, that can actually be just a little bit too much. And we'll see these aggressive behaviors um, kind of become uh, a displaced behavior um, in, that, in that situation. So I would say back off from any kind of cuddling and scratching with him and go mm-hmm. back to the basics of the, the perching. Um, and then the cuddling and scratching as much anymore because it often leads to bloodshed. And the little man it, is so intelligent that he will yell in my tone, Tiki, no, be right before he bites me because he knows that's what's coming next. <laughs> Tiki, no. <laughs> He's a pissed exactly. love him. You know, he'll be around forever, but I'm tired of bleeding. Exactly. And, you know, and you got that because they are so smart and they understand there's a, there's something that's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. This is what I'm going to hear afterwards. So really we may have to stop that pattern of he does that behavior. Do not give into that. Give him something else to do. We want to give him some other behavior. And that's where giving the basic thing, like the step up command is just so important to give him something else to do or to think about. And then also we use food as a reward. So we really want to make sure that if anything, we kind of keep the food a little bit to the side, use food as a treat and a reward when you're having these little training sessions. So I'm not saying starve them, <laughs> but sometimes uh, it's a great motivator. And if he doesn't have a full bowl of food ready for him, he might be more um, primed to work for those extra treats. I would like to hang out with somebody else had an African grade to watch their bird because either that's normal or mine's out of his mind because A, he will walk backwards when he's on the floor. He will slam his head into the ground and looks like a dinosaur running. I mean, he's hilarious. They are great comedians, so that's the one thing. And and they, uh, you know, they know that he's getting your attention. They're they're <laughs> smart birds. We wish you the best of luck with that. Let us know how that turns out. One eight six six four zero five eight four zero five. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Brilliant Pad. Tired of handling stinky puppy pads? The Brilliant Pad self-cleaning dog potty wraps and seals ways to keep your home clean and odor-free. Messy and smelly is replaced with clean and fresh. Do your pads do that? Their website's brilliantpad.com. And thanks, Brilliant Pad, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. 
does your dog keep running out of your yard? Have an invisible fence that just doesn't work? You need a Pet Playgrounds dog fence. It's a physical fence that can be assembled by yourself or by one of our installers. The dig guard prevents dogs from digging under the fence. It's a strong yet flexible steel mesh system that moves. This stops dogs from climbing too. Thousands of customers have used a Pet Playgrounds dog fence to keep their dogs safe over the past 10 years. Order your fence at PetPlaygrounds.com and use the coupon code ANIMALRADIO to save 10% on any order that's 200 feet or more. Visit PetPlaygrounds.com and get your dog fence in 10 days or less. Ship it to your door in 10 days or less. Visit PetPlaygrounds.com for the best. Visit PetPlaygrounds.com and get your dog fence in 10 days or less. When Helen Brown ran away to New York City, she had no idea that a homeless cat with a punk rock haircut would teach her the true meaning of love. In the tradition of her best-selling memoir, Cleo, Helen Brown's Bono, The Amazing Story of a Rescue Cat Who Inspired a Community, is a heartwarming true story about a woman without an anchor and a homeless cat without much hope of finding a forever home in the city that never sleeps. Bono by Helen Brown is on sale now everywhere books are sold. Learn more at HelenBrown.com. Hey, this is Big Ant from Rescue Inc. Remember, spay and neuter your animal and abusers are losers. Now back to Animal Radio. This is Animal Radio. Yeah. <laughs> You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. In just a few minutes, we're going to find out how parrots are being used to help veterans with PTSD. The birds, huh? Birds yeah. are helping them, huh? Really, it's a thing, believe wow. it or not. Uh, detailed... That's great. Not everyone's a dog person. I know. Yeah. But birds? Who would have thought? Right? That's surprising. Details on the way in just a few minutes. What are you working on for the bottom of this hour, Miss Brooks? Keeping my dogs under control. But um, <laughs> also, sometimes there are genetic abnormalities that happen in life. And, and when you know we get like albinos, uh, wild animals like the, the albino moose and deer and stuff that are out there, it's just such an amazing thing. But sometimes they end up as, you know, like hunted animals because everybody wants to capture them. But we've uh, found one little crusty creature that because he was an unusual color it saved his life huh. that's on the way let's go to the phones one 405 8405 you can also ask your questions from the free animal radio app for iphone and android just like gary did gary listening in guam agana guam where apparently our toll-free numbers don't work listening on the point thank you this portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Helen Brown. In the tradition of her best-selling memoir, Cleo, Helen Brown's Bono, The Amazing Story of a Rescue Cat Who Inspired a Community, is a heartwarming true story about a cat who just wanted a home and someone to love. Her website's HelenBrown.com, and thanks, Helen Brown, for underwriting Animal Radio. Hey, Audrey, how you doing? Great, how you doing? Good, where are you today? Tucson, Arizona. Tucson, lovely Tucson, Arizona. You're on with Dr. Debbie. Hi. Hi there. I have probably a silly question. I have been told that the uh, smaller parrots have a mentality of about a two-year-old and the larger ones of about a five-year-old. Well, I usually, I go out of town on driving on Saturday, and I usually take my son conure, small parrot, with me, and uh, 
And if I don't take her on Saturday, well, she when I come home, she screams at me, and it's different than through the week. It's, hmm. I work nights. So I'm there uh-huh. in the daytime, but occasionally I work in the daytime also through the week. And when I come home, if I work in the daytime through the week, she's just thrilled to see me and want to kiss me, and she's all excited. Um, but on Saturday, it's like she's mad at me and screams at me. Is it possible <laughs> that she knows? Now, of course, she doesn't know it's Saturday, but, if, but is it possible that she knows at so many days or whatever that she goes with me, and if I don't take her, she's mad at me? No, I want to clarify. She's she's mad, she's behaving this way before you leave her or after a span of time when you've not been with her? Oh, when I come home on Saturday afternoon, if I'm not able to take her with me. Okay. When I, when I drive, drive about 300 miles. Okay. Well, you, you know, birds, and this will get a little sticky here, this conversation, because there's a lot of people that would argue that animals have the same feelings we do. But I would say that for definite what she's doing is she has a pattern of learned behavior and she may not know it's Saturday but she knows that she's not as happy when you're not with her and she's not with you so she may demonstrate some of that um, you know I don't know if I could call it pouting or you know you know those type of uh, human words but uh, you know if she doesn't have the same social stimulation she doesn't have the same activity or mental stimulation you know she might be acting uh, funny and you know does she have feelings does she, is she telling you that she's ticked off that is the argument that animal behaviorists pet owners would probably bonk heads on because you ask any pet owner and they'll say that their pet feels you know the same feelings that we do and, and I'd have to agree on that to some point um, but the, the big question is does she really understand what she's doing and trying to get even with you I don't know about that that's a tough call <laughs> well I she doesn't actually talk even though she's capable of it but I understand her body language quite well, and I can even tell people what she wants, and then when she does it, they are amazed. How'd you do that? (laughs) Well, I understand Uh her body language and what she's wanting. Absolutely. It's just, it's just like a mom and their, you know, infant child. You kind of learn what, um, what kind of triggers there are. And, you know, to some degree, I think she's probably working you, um, just to make you feel bad. But, you know, the the humans in the household have to set the pattern of behavior and the rules. And, you know, that's why that, uh, we are the humans. Well, someone said I have a perpetual two year old for 30 years. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, most animals are that way. I, that's what, the way we look at our dog, who's uh, pretty smart, almost a two-year, two-year-old level, and that's like an 18-year commitment that we've made to yes. it. So you join us. But the birds, actually, they last, uh, they live for years and years and years and years and years. How long do parrots live? Well, a lot of parrots will live, you know, 70, 80 years. Sun conures are a smaller parrot. And, and if anyone doesn't know what they look like, they're gorgeous little, they look like basically a sunrise, a lovely orange color mm. with lots of vibrant, uh, vibrant yellows and so forth. So very wonderful has, little birds. She has navy, navy blue, hunter green, and then the lots of yellow and orange. Mm-hmm. And, and when, and I have been above her when she's flown, and it's gorgeous to see those colors blend together as she flies. Oh, she sounds like an absolutely lovely parrot there. Please give her a big old kiss. If you do that with parrots, I know that, I knew you with dogs and everything, but if you do that, give a give a big old kiss from all of us here at Animal Radio, okay? When I walk home, she'll, she'll be when I kiss, she'll kiss and kiss and kiss me when I go home. Okay. <laughs> 
Take care of yourself. Thanks for calling today, Audrey. Thank you. one 405 8405 to talk to anyone of the Dream Team right now. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at one 405 8405 Tanya Tucker on Animal Radio. Love those pets. All dogs should eat a pH-balanced alkaline diet. An alkaline diet reduces health risks and can also reduce scratching, shedding, and hot spots. So does this mean you need to check your dog's pH balance? No, because canine caviar has created the first and only alkaline dog food that is pH-balanced. It also has the highest metabolized calories. What does this mean? Your dog needs to eat less. Get a healthier dog and save money with Canine Caviar products. Find them at your local pet supply store or online at caninecaviar.com. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. Mars makes wet dog food and cat foods under the names of Pedigree, Caesar, Whiskas, Nutro, and Iams brands. And now some problems over the past two years at their pet food production facility in Columbus, Ohio, are making their way into the public thanks to the Freedom of Information Act. We're finding out now that thanks to foodsafetynews.com that the facility there was actually crawling with an infestation of German cockroaches between October of 2016 and uh, for almost a year until July of last year. So that is over a year. But pet food from the plant also generated some consumer complaints about the same time about finding hard plastic pieces in the pet food. So it's good to know that a recall of the affected foods was issued, but inspections of the facility later to check on how well they remedied the problems found that Mars had not really completed repairs as they had promised to do. During that inspection last July, investigators from the FDA found two more problems as they were doing their investigation. One of those problems having to do with how raw ingredients were handled at the facility. And another found that the plant had actually failed to take the effective measures that were needed against contamination of pet food by pests. Creepy pests. Um, That report specifically showed employees at the Mars facility had reported birds beetles, even maggots in areas where raw ingredients were stored and handled. So wouldn't you think that once these problems were found by inspectors, that companies would be, you know, just eager to fix the problems and get a clean record again? But apparently that is not always the case. In this report of how Mars dealt with follow-up inspections, FDA investigators reported that Mars officials refusing to cooperate on a couple of different things during the course of their inspection, including refusal to permit any pictures to be taken, which, I mean, you would think if you're being investigated by the FDA, a government agency, that they would have to submit to that. But also, Mars had refused to provide any photocopies of consumer complaints to them or their pest control records. But finally, the investigation triggered by that initial recall from uh, starting in uh, June of 2016 is now closed. But it sometimes takes a village to get it done. Mm. And in a somewhat related story, Mars has released a food. And this is for real. This is not a joke here. Mars has released a food that is made up of crickets uh, because they oh say my it's God, high in protein. Yeah. For humans? No, <laughs> no, 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 for dogs. Oh. It's a pet food. 
Uh, so maybe they're just trying to work all the angles there. You know what I mean? Uh, hey, they might be free. Who knows? It's funny how a company that's that large, you would think that they would want to pioneer this and have the you know the best. Um, and I, I know it comes down to dollars and cents, but still, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're talking about pets now, which is part of our family. It should be no different than the other foods that they're manufacturing. So it makes me wonder. How about the food that we're eating that's coming from them? Do you know? It, it, oh, my gosh, now, Joey. Now it I just thought, raises a red flag. I thought exactly, word for word, what you just said, <laughs> verbatim. What, you know, what are we eating that we're not hearing about? But how dare they even do that to our pets? Yeah. And, and it's too bad that they, you know, like Mars owns so many of these pet brands' names. So you think you're feeding, you know, if you're feeding them pedigree and then you change it to another brand, it still could be Mars and it still could be right. made in horrible facilities like that. But don't get me started. Okay, go on. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. I in like some Mars cases, bars. a genetic abnormality can produce something amazing, but it's usually a bad thing when that leads to an unusually colored animal that's out in the wild because it just makes that animal stand out and become very easy prey for another animal or for a trophy hunter. But in the case of one Canadian lobster, rare pigmentation led to its reprieve from death row. This lobster was bright orange. It came in from Nova Scotia as part of a shipment of lobsters of the usual, you know, the kind of gray, greenish brown color. But workers who saw it at this store where it had arrived this store usually sells about 200,000 lobsters a year, so they've seen a lot of lobsters. They knew they had a very rare specimen on their hand when they saw it. Luckily, they pulled it, donated it to the New England Aquarium in Boston and experts at the University of Maine's Lobster Institute, yes, there is such a thing, <laughs> said that the day-glow orange-colored lobster occurs only in about one of every 30 million lobsters. And this guy was between seven and nine years old, so the fact that he had lived that long in the wild was actually pretty amazing itself. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at AnimalRadio.com. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. 1-866-405-8405. Hi, Glee. Hi, Hal. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Good. How can we help you? Dr. Debbie's right here. I want... Uh, now, my boyfriend is going to try to get my birth. They are learning to talk, but we cannot understand what they're trying to say. <laughs> okay. And if you could tell me a little bit what they're trying to say. I know they say pretty bird, and that's it. I'll have to put you on speakerphone, Okay. Okay. okay, so we're trying to decipher what your birds are trying to say. Yeah, okay. and I can't decipher it all because this is about the time of eating they get really talkative. Okay. And they was okay. just a little bit. Okay. Okay. We're Just ready. go to talk to them. Okay. I'll, let me see if I can get, they might, their names are Chris and Katrina. Chris and Katrina, okay. Okay. Chris and Katrina. Well, go in there and talk to them. Chris, come here, talk to me. Chris. Hey, Chris, Katrina, Chris and Katrina. Hello, hello. Hello. Hmm. They're being their stubborn self. <laughs> like a little kid. I guess so. They are, um, let me take that back. Yeah. Oh, I heard him whistle. Yeah. Are you showing them a picture of me? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. 
they really like my boyfriend. And he can get them to go on. And they've, they've been doing this thing like they're laughing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we have no idea. So opening up their jaw like to talk and don't think of it. Did yeah. you hear what he's saying? Okay, well, are they watching a lot of TV? Right are there they laughing? The computer. Let's put that away. Okay. All right. Well, well, Glee, um, you know, as far as translating what they're saying might be hard to do, but we know that birds try to mimic sounds that they're in their environment. So um, especially if we're teaching a bird to talk, um, we try to find sounds that are appealing to them. So, you know, there's probably something either in your voice or in your boyfriend's voice um, in different words that have been said that they've heard that they will try to repeat. Now, it, it becomes a little challenging. I'm assuming these two birds are together? Yeah. And okay. he doesn't really like her too well either. Who doesn't like her? Chris doesn't really like Katrina that well because he will pick at her. Oh, well, they don't get along. Okay, huh? well, he that happens, you know. For birds to to be good talkers, um, a lot of times we have better success when a bird is housed alone. And part of the reason is the talking behavior is kind of a kind of a pair uh, behavior. So it's kind of something that um, birds would do together as mates. So if we have a single bird in a home, sometimes, you know, when we spend that extra efforts to getting that bird to talk, we'll have better success than if we have multiple birds within one enclosure. Now, and every bird's different. Some will talk more readily, especially the boys. The boys tend to be better talkers um, with cockatiels. So um, I don't know that I'll be able to be the cockatiel um, translator here, but I would definitely look to see when you're speaking to your birds, if there's certain tones that you're using, certain words that you're saying, if you see them showing interest, moving their mouth, or starting to make sounds, keep repeating those words um but as far as to try to figure out what they're saying after the fact it's a little hard it's a little bit hard to go backwards but watch their behaviors and if there's something they're finding appealing and showing interest in then keep saying those words and then we'd focus on uh, repeating that so hopefully they're good words and we're not using any swear words or anything <laughs> bad in that way <laughs> thank you for they your call glee after, after it gets dark more so than any time oh well, oh sure yeah. it, call us when they when they want to talk again and if, if I may have to record them. yeah if you can record it we'd love to hear what they sound like and of course if you can get them to say we love animal radio there's prizes oh yeah <laughs> oh we'd be all over that yes <laughs> thanks for your call glee one 405 this portion of animal radio is underwritten by pet playgrounds pet playgrounds makes physical non-electric do-it-yourself fence dog kits not electric fences, and they offer professional installation services nationwide. Their website's PetPlaygrounds.com. And thanks, Pet Playgrounds, for underwriting Animal Radio. Dogs or cats, horse or emu, animals are people too. The birds in Decatur, Illinois, were driving the residents batty. 30,000-odd starlings invaded the city each year, taking over the city park, dive-bombing pedestrians, and bullying other birds. After all the conventional solutions failed, the town called in James Solace, an 83-year-old man, sometimes referred to as the Birdman or the Crow Whisperer. Solace said he could make the birds leave, but demanded complete secrecy, warning officials not to spy on him. In desperation, he was hired, and just like that, the birds all flew away. The residents of Decatur don't know how he persuaded the birds to leave. They're just glad he did it. I'm Britt Savage for Animal Radio.
are people too. Animal Radio. Do you travel with your dog? Of course. My pets are part of our family. Me too. I take Daisy with me everywhere. Right, Daisy? So how do you find out what hotels welcome your dog? I read Fido Friendly, the travel and lifestyle magazine for you and your dog. Sounds perfect for planning our next vacation. Right, Daisy? It is. Their motto is leave no dog behind. And they have great hotel and destination reviews. Where can I find the magazine? Go online to FidoFriendly.com. I will for sure. Come on, Daisy. We're off to find our next adventure. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio. Celebrating the connection with our pets, whether it's a cat, a dog, a flamingo, a pot-bellied pig, or even a bird. You'll, you're going to love this next guest, Joey. I'll tell you this right now, because you're a bird lover. How old is Gurney? You know, I, I'm, I'm, we, I keep estimating. I'm not sure, but I'm going to. She's, she's in her 40s. Let's put it that way. Wow. Yeah, and she probably will outlive you. And she has. I got to admit, she's a little sarcastic at times. Do you teach her to be like that? What makes you think that I would do that? I don't know. Maybe she's just hanging around you a lot, and that I'm just I'm just making that suggestion there. I'm, I'm wondering how she became so salty for a bird. Yeah, she's just a salty. She's just a salty bird. You're gonna love our next guest, Dr. Lauren Linder is joining us. Doctor, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? Very good. Are you a bird owner, or should I say, does a bird own you? A bird definitely owns me. In fact, more than one bird. Now, you use birds as um, as therapy for, uh, in particular, PTSD sufferers. Who would have thunk, huh? I know. <laughs> Indeed. I didn't put it together until one day I'm sitting there trying to do group therapy with this menagerie of veterans who are sitting with their arms crossed, not wanting anything to do with me. And one of my birds who I brought to the therapy room just really as a convenience because I had nowhere else to put her, climbs down and climbs up one of the veteran's legs and says, hello, I love you. And that got in a lot better than I did. Well, that was a happy accident. It was a very happy accident, and it led to many more, which I'm very grateful for, and so are the parrots and the veterans of Serenity Park. What is Serenity Park? That's the name I gave to the parrot sanctuary I started, the only one of its kind, on the grounds of the West Los Angeles Veterans Hospital. And I was a clinical director of a program for homeless veterans at the time and thought that the parrots might be a good diversion. Little did I know they were going to be a part of my armamentarium for treating the veterans with PTSD. Now, a sanctuary for parrots, and you say the only one of its kind probably, where do these parrots come from? There is no lack of parrots in need of homes. There's an estimated estimated 30 to 60 million parrots in the United States. They're the third most commonly kept companion animal. And most of them, like you said earlier in the show, will outlive their family members. So where do they go? Most people don't want to inherit a bird and have to deal with the mess and the screaming and the biting. And they want to travel or they have young children or they have myriad other reasons why they can't keep a bird for its long lifetime. And we get calls every single day, emails, texts from people who want to relinquish their parrots. Unfortunately, we're full at this point. And there are many other sanctuaries in the country and they're close to full as well. How many birds do you have at your sanctuary? Right now we have 42. We would be 
very able to build more enclosures, but of course that costs money and it's it's difficult now with the cost of steel and um, and labor. Really, we we use the veterans to do everything from the animal husbandry to caring for the parrots to learning the vet tech skills necessary to uh, pr provide medications when needed. And we also use them for the construction of the sanctuary, the aviaries, the large flights that enable the parrots to live a little bit more of a natural life than they do in, in the small cages they're usually kept in. Is that part of their therapy? That is indeed. I call it the four Fs, meaning flight, forage, flocking, and um, mating. And I believe that all parrots need that. They need to be able to fly. They need to be <laughs> You got it. But we're all realizing that was only three Fs. <laughs> yeah. It takes a moment. But uh, they, they need all of those things. And they need to be with other members of their own species, just like we do. We're all social animals. Very, very much uh, a, a flock creature. And they, they depend on having other animals of their own kind to to uh to thrive and to have quality of life well this is great how the uh the birds are helping the veterans and the veterans are helping the birds it's a very synergistic relationship what do people normally think i get lots of double takes and those who know like your uh, gurney's owner there they know <laughs> that the birds really do interact and they establish deep and lasting relationships because they most of the time, uh, made for life if humans allow them to. And they they really form very solid relationships. And that's part of the healing process for the veterans who have been estranged from society after they've returned from military service. And they don't feel like they have a place of, uh, anywhere that they fit in again. And being of service to the parrots is really important to them. And the parrots thrive on that kind of attention and really love that interaction and people don't realize how much birds really uh really do indeed enjoy a, a healthy relationship with with humans and are extremely intelligent i'd say equally so to most primates and marine mammals we have 10 copies of your book to give away it's called birds of a feather what's in the book tell us about it well, I love that you're giving uh, books away, and I, I really uh, relish the fact that people will read this and learn about the plight of parrots, first of all, because most people don't even know. They know about going to adopt a dog and a cat at a shelter, and they know about puppy mills, but there are also birdie mills where conditions are just dreadful for these poor parrots and, and their young. And they'll also learn about the veterans who are suffering from PTSD and are having a hard time readjusting to civilian life and fitting into society. And how the two of them together, these sort of birds of a feather, are, are relating and healing each other in ways that are really quite extraordinary. If you're not lucky enough to get on through, you can head on over to Amazon or go to our website at animalradio.pet and hit the As Heard on Animal Radio button over there. And you'll see Birds of a Feather by our author, Dr. Lauren Linder, joining us. Thank you so much for visiting. It was my pleasure. Celebrating the connection with our pets, this is Animal Radio, featuring your dream team, veterinarian Dr. Debbie White and groomer Joey Villani. And here are your hosts, Hal Abrams and Judy Francis. Are you two attached to your pets? Never. Never. Absolutely. No. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Are you serious? 
You can never be too attached. I don't think you can love them too much. Yeah. I've I've seen some pretty extreme things, so yeah. So what do you think is extreme? Um, I think um, attending to your pets needs to the detriment of family members in the home. But wait, wait, um, your pets are your family. To other family members. Like well, I've seen kids. Okay, I have seen children's college educations get cashed in for pets' medical care. Yeah. So what's your point? And, <laughs> and, and while that may be something important for that animal, is it is it appropriate to not let your kid go to college because your dog needs a surgery? I don't know. So, so wait, you, the doctor, are saying that animals' yeah. lives are not as important as a, a human's life, perhaps? I, I, I'm saying that you really have to take all of it into consideration. We all want to do everything we can for our animals, but you have to be realistic with your life situation. And, uh, yeah, and I, I do think, I mean, human life is, I mean, I wouldn't be here if um, someone valued my pet's life greater than mine uh, somewhere along the way. You know, so um, I, I think you do have to say that um, there's a loving place for them in the home, but it's not superseded to above your immediate family members. Mm. See, I say that kid can go out and earn its own college money. Go to, go to work and pay your own way. No, she... She makes a good point. Dr. Debbie makes a good point because if, if we have, you know, people who are actually paying, you know, letting children who cannot care for themselves, like tiny kids, toddlers, and, and preferring to, I mean, there are weird people out there who just don't get that there is an appropriate balance in every world. And I bet you see way more than we even hear about, Dr. Deb. Well, yeah, yeah. But I mean, if you really think about it, okay, you, your kid is sitting in one corner and it's sick, sneezing, feeling horrible, and then your dog is in the other, whining, dragging his butt on the floor. If you left that crying, snotty-nosed baby <laughs> go take your dog to the vet, would you be judged by the moral authority and saying that's yes. um, the wrong choice? It's not me for, for me to say, but just a question. You know who, who agrees with you is Clay Rutledge, and he's an author. He's a psychological scientist, a consultant, a contributor for the National Review, and he thinks exactly like you do, pretty close, and he's going to be joining us this hour. He says, yeah, we're too attached to our pets, so get ready for this guy just around the corner right here. on. Is he one of those people who's angry at pet people? I don't know. We're going to find out. <laughs> we'll find out. It's uh, coming up in just a few minutes. What are you working on for this hour? Well, there's some new medical things going on in China where there's, uh, they've experienced some viruses that have spread from pigs to dogs. And it's possible that in the future they're keeping an eye on these to see if they, because they do think it's possible, that they could go from pet dogs to people. Really? You mean the, the, the flu virus can go to humans from it dogs? It depends on the virus. And, and there's a lot of research and studying going on, but I'll tell you more about it. Okay, if, that, if you hang around. I'm going to hang around for that. I'll be listening anyway because I want to talk to this Clay Rutledge guy, and he's right after you coming up. But first, your phone calls, one 405 8405 Let's head to Frank. Hey, Frank, how are you doing? All right. How are you doing today? Thank you for waiting. We know you were on the phone for a little time waiting there. <laughs> and We appreciate that. And that you didn't hang up because it would be a real drag if I just came to you right now and it was like a dial tone. Yeah, it would. So, Frank, Frank, what's going on? Where are you calling from today? Uh, Sousa, California. Where in California? Asusa. Asusa, like in the Los Angeles area. Yes, sir. Well, thank you for listening down there in L.A. So what's going on with your animals? Well, we have a pit bull. Uh, he's a blue-nosed, gaudy, whatever you want to call him. And at the base of the tail, 
it looks kind of like mange or it's, uh, I don't know if you call it uh, hot spots or whatever. But okay. he starts chewing on it and you can hear him when he's rubbing up against the, the doghouse and stuff. And we try putting stuff, uh, medicine on it, but it comes back. Uh, we've used, olive, uh, we use peroxide when it's open sores and then we used aloe vera and it kind of cleans it up a little bit and then it comes back. Okay. And on the skin in the area, what does it look like? Can you describe what it looks like to me? Is there hair? Are there sores? It, it, well, he starts chewing on it and scratching. You know, uh, the hair is like disappearing. You know, the pit bulls are they're real short hair. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. you know, it starts looking like, um, you know, like the hair's falling off, but I guess it's him chewing or scratching and stuff. Okay. And then, is this- uh, I was just going to say, is the skin discolored in any way, or are there scabs on the area? Yeah, a little bit of uh, scabs, you know, uh, uh, raw. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you that for a dog to have an itchy spot at the tail base area, the two big things that come to mind are going to be parasites and it's going to be allergies as the second thing. Those two things would be the what I really focus my efforts on. So even if uh, you're doing really good, vigilant flea control, fleas are one of the number one things that we can see a dog focused on the tail base area. So um, for me, that's something I will attack um, with a lot of different methods. Now, there's also some microscopic parasites or mites, um, specifically the scabies mite, which can be very itchy and do like that that particular area on the body. So there's some things that we can do, and, and certainly if you see your vet, they can do some skin tests and evaluate your pet for that. For me, if I have a pet that I'm suspicious of one of one or two of those things, I, I'll often, even if I don't get the benefit of tests, I'll try some things that might make the pet better and are geared towards treating those two conditions. And in one would be that I would uh, use a topical flea product um, along with an oral flea medication, and that's a way to kill those fleas effectively um, for for the various different uh, life cycles. The other thing I will do is mites. Mites are microscopic, so you can't see them. You don't know they're there unless your vet can pick them up on a skin test. But there is a medication, um, one called Selamectin, that I'll often use, and we can use this product topically, and I use it every two weeks for pets with sarcoptes mites, and it's very effective to kill those critters. Um, So if you got a pet that's itching, particularly in this area, and they're not getting better, it's well worth doing that every two weeks for about three treatments. Um, That's called salamectin. Um, So that would be something I would certainly recommend to to see your veterinarian about because that can definitely make a big difference. So if we're dealing with more like an allergy in that area, um, you know, we're looking at anything in the environment, anything that's pollens in the yard, in your neighbor's yard, uh, foods that your dog eats can cause allergic responses in the dog's skin. So that's another whole kind of topic of conversation, how we can relieve a pet with that. But often I'll use some antihistamines that have a component that help with some anxiety that kind of comes along with the itch. So say a pet with really bad flea allergy dermatitis or really bad 
allergies is scratching, chewing themselves, and they're miserable. So there's actually antihistamines and medicines that are actually an antidepressant combination, and that these can be very helpful to kind of squash that itch and make the pet feel more relaxed and comfortable. Um, Amitriptyline is one of those. Um, The other one, which I do have some good use with, is doxepin. And these are medicines that, um, if you've ever heard of dogs with uh, lick granulomas or hot spots, they kind of obsessively lick at an area. These kind of medications can help them with the itch and also kind of with that obsessive kind of, I feel like I got to itch, I got to itch kind of thing. Um, so that might be another direction that we can go for your baby. And certainly I don't want him to be rubbing it on the dog house. We got to do something to get this kid some relief there. So I like the idea of aloe vera topically. It's a nice, soothing thing, very natural. Um, I'm not opposed to that, but I do think we need to get into the nitty-gritty and look at some of these parasites and get your baby to uh, stop itching there. Now, I, I want to ask, is your is your dog neutered or is he um, intact? He's got him. He's, he's got him. <laughs> yeah. yeah okay. and we keep him in the yard, and he's real friendly. In fact, we have a chewini. And he's meaner than the, than the pit bull. Yeah. Well, just the reason I mention that is because an unneutered male dog often has an area of hair loss at the base of their tail. And it's called stud tail. And it's hormonally driven. Wow. But dogs that have this don't usually have the itchies and scratchies associated with that, but they can have the area of hair loss. So it is possible that there could be something else that's causing the itching and that your dog has stud tail, um, which is just a natural thing for a dog that's not neutered. So um, it might be well worth going, you know, see, going to see the vet just to have a good skin exam. And if you can put your, your guy up about by the radio, I'll try my best to get an impression of what's going on. <laughs> hey, Frank, thanks for your call. Paul, good luck with that. I I think All I right. have stud tail myself. Oh. Someone check this. Right? Yeah, it's <laughs> weird. I've never heard like about that. that. Thanks yeah. for your call. Hopefully that'll work out for you. Uh, you know what, Doctor Debbie, you're like Taco Bell. I, Taco Bell. Well, yeah, because you know Taco Bell has five different ingredients, but they have dozens of different menu items. You get the, pretty much the same calls. And just different people asking them. We'll get questions about fleas. We'll get pet, uh, questions about allergies, uh, something your dog ate. What else? What are the co- common top five? Um, you know, nutrition is always a really big thing. But, you know, I, I really I look forward to those kind of wacky, weird ones that come out of nowhere. Yep. You know, like the caller that I often get, you know, sometimes at the well, clinic the where someone will call. What about the birds? The birds, yeah. But, I mean, I get the calls wing. like, you know, my dogs are stuck together. Um, yep. Yep. The male is bred the female and they're stuck together. Those are kind of fun calls. You know, I don't mind some really wacky things out there. <laughs> you see it all. Yep. This scrumptious serving of Animal Radio is brought to you by the grain-free Red Barn Naturals canned food for dogs and cats. Where'd that southern twain come from? Always made in the USA with natural, functional ingredients that support your pet's optimal health. Their website's redbarninc.com. And thanks, Red Barn, for underwriting Animal Radio. Coming up, the guy that says we're way too attached to our animals. Stick around. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Hi, this is Betty White. All us animal lovers love animal radio. Please help every way you can to make life better for our animals, like the Morris Animal Foundation does. 
People say less is more. At Red Barn, we think less is better. It's what you won't find that sets our natural premium pet food apart. No byproducts, no corn or soy, no fillers. Just the natural ingredients your pets need to live the healthy life they deserve. Look at the label. We want you to. Red Barn Naturals Pet Food. Simply the best. Find it in your local pet specialty store. Try our grain-free rolled food. It's protein-packed with less risk of food sensitivity. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. Apparently, we've started a controversy here at Animal Radio. Can you love your animals too much? It's even divided here in the studio. <laughs> I, I'm one of those persons. I love my animals like family. In Me just too. a few minutes, we're going to talk to Clay Rutledge. He's an author and he's a psychological scientist, and he says that we're loving our pets way too much. I, I don't get that, but yeah. I, mean, I mean, I think we're all pretty normal and pretty rational, so I, I think we're doing it right. Maybe, maybe there's just a few people that do, but not us. <laughs> I, you know what? I think this, there's a lot of protesting going on, you know, and I can't say because, you know, I have a closet of costumes, um, jackets, sweaters, <laughs> shoes for my dogs. Um, my husband complains about his closet space, and I think my dogs can rival that. So mm, We'll have to see what Clay Rutledge thinks about that. Yeah, that... no, see, my dog doesn't have more closet space than I do. Uh, Lori, what are you working on for this hour? Hey, we have a, a new um, oldest living cat in the world, thanks to Guinness. The beer? Oh, no, the record book. Okay. Toll free, one eight six six four zero five eight four zero five. Hey, Bob, what's up? Here's my question. We have a, a Yorkie puppy who weighs right at a pound. And, um, and when we took her to the vet, he, the first vet said she's too small to give a sentinel heartworm and sleep tab. Mm-hmm. And then... We went to a second vet uh, who said, no, you can go ahead and give her one because uh, you just have to break it in half. And he gave me an 11 to 25-pound tab. Okay. Which still seems like too much. So I, I called Sentinel on their 800 number, and they said that they, they don't recommend it for any dog less than two pounds. Yeah, yeah. So the, the question is, what kind of flea treatment? I, I want to get her on some kind of a heartworm regimen, and I also would like to get her on some kind of a flea regimen. Um, right. Absolutely. And, and that's, is she, she the only dog you have? She's the only dog, yes. And um, up to right now, have they used regular deworming products on her for other purposes, as far as for, like, you know, the intestinal worms? They've hopefully yeah. dewormed her in those respects. Right. Yeah, we used... Okay. Um, a couple different pills. One was a pill and one was kind of a, a liquid. But neither one of those, one was for um, uh, some kind of worms. The other was for some kind of uh, parasite. Couldn't think of the word. So, okay. yeah. So, but again, I'm back to, you know, when, when can you do something for fleas and what can you do? Right now we use Dawn detergent. Which actually, <laughs> Good old Dawn. <laughs> yeah, well, actually it works. Um, and but I hate to give her a bath every week, but that's what we're doing. Yeah, um, and let me ask you: Are you do you have a lot of flea problems in your area? Oh, oh well, yeah, in the area we do, but we don't. Uh, we have a screened-in porch. <laughs> we take her out there, 
and uh, she has a little puppy pad that we're using to get her house broken. So she doesn't. So she's get, probably not one of those dogs that spends a lot of time outdoors roaming the great yonder. <laughs> Zero time outdoors. Yeah. A one-pound Yorkie could easily be um, a prey for, like, a large uh, bird or something like that. So we do right. have to be careful. Um, but, so here's the question. Heartworm okay. and um, flea protection. What would you okay. recommend? Well, you know, every region is a little bit different in what their veterinarians were probably most comfortable with. Um I do have, you know, definitely I share the concerns with a small dog and using some products. Um, and I would always fall back on the manufacturer because they're going to be the ones that stand behind the product legally. So if they say not to use the the heartworm flea medication for her, then I'm going to honor that. Um, for smaller pets in my office, we very commonly will use, as far as heartworm protection, we'll use um, HeartGuard, um, which is a type of a monthly chewable, um, as well as um, Interceptor. And uh, those are some of the products that we'll use in our office. As far as flea tick products, you can kind of switch things up a little bit, and you can try some different things. And, you know, regular bathing with Dawn is is great to just kind of remove the fleas, but it doesn't do a lot to really give us some long, sustained protection. Um, so we, we would certainly look at maybe something like, um, I'm a fan of Frontline uh, when it comes to um, flea and tick control, and that's the type, either a topical spot-on um, or spray-on that you um uh, can apply to the pet. Um, so it's nice and convenient when we have one product that kind of does everything, but you might kind of have to mix and match um, right. just so that we're keeping in mind her small size and, uh, you know, covering your bases with, uh, you know, all the right. different things we've got to worry about with our puppy dogs in the infectious disease world. Well, I appreciate it. We've had two dogs in our lives. One lived 18 years and one lived 17 years. This is our third, but this is by far the smallest. I gotta, I gotta yeah. ask here. I gotta butt in. You know, we just got a, a Chihuahua, and it weighs at a baby, at a puppy, at ten weeks old. It's a pound and a half, almost two pounds. Right. Is that kind of small for a Yorkie to be a pound? I mean, that's pretty small. Well, she was a runt. Uh, her brothers towered over her, um, but yeah, I don't know. I, she, she's awfully. She weighed fourteen ounces when we took wow. her to the vet the first time, and and she was uh, seven weeks old. Wow. Yeah, and some of those um, breeds, we definitely can see some lines where they breed towards the really tiny, the really small, almost teacup-type size. Um, there's good and bad with that. <laughs> They're easy to carry around. A lot of people really loves the, love the really tiny ones. But you do have to be a little bit um, on the watch for you know some genetic things and then definitely the size-related problems of just kind of getting underfoot and uh, you know being a tiny dog in a big world. <laughs> okay, well, thank you very much. Thanks, Thanks. for the call, Bob. This is Dr. Debbie on Animal Radio. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Pet Playgrounds, makers of the reliable real dog fencing system in the world. Dog trainers, veterinarians, and dog lovers recommend Pet Playgrounds to protect your dog. Their website's PetPlaygrounds.com. And thanks, Pet Playgrounds, for underwriting Animal Radio. You're listening to Animal Radio. Call the Dream Team now at 1-866-405-8405. We can't tell you why canine caviar is the only alkaline-based dog food, but we can tell you alkaline is proven to minimize the risk of renal failure and pancreatitis, reduce scratching, cellular degeneration, and disease, keeping your furry friend youthful and healthy longer. And those are the reasons we can fit into this short commercial. But by visiting caninecaviar.com, you'll see exactly what we do to make a better food for your dog. Try the one and only alkaline dog food risk-free. Canine Caviar. 
Here are today's automotive news headlines. I'm Nick Miles. Wagons are making a comeback, but not as a family utility vehicle, now as a premium performance utility vehicle. Jaguar launched the new XF Sport Brake with clever rear suspension, so it performs the same empty as fully loaded. The drive is remarkable with 380 horsepower and a supercharged engine. It has gesture control sunshades, allowing the driver to keep their eyes on the road, along with gesture control tailgates. Starting at just over $70,000, it's available now. To see the best deals on cars, go to ourautoexpert.com. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car needs. We're close, convenient, and known for our guaranteed everyday low prices and excellent customer service from professional parts people you can trust. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices, every day. This is an Animal Radio News Update. I'm Lori Brooks. In China, lots going on from the medical world for our pets as three flu viruses have spread from pigs to pet dogs. And experts there believe that these viruses pose a potential risk to humans eventually. But right now, they are mainly associated with dog shelters due to the overcrowded conditions there. However, researchers who are studying these viruses and keeping tabs on them say that it is probable that in the near future, these viruses will also be detected in many of our pet dogs. Canine influenza viruses are not generally transmitted from dogs to humans. We know that. Uh, So there is really no reason to be worried at this time, according to the lead researcher on this project, who says that if the diversity of dog flu viruses continues to expand, however, it's going to be a different story. It could become more prevalent in dogs, and that could become a, a possible source of a flu pandemic. A pet monkey that escaped from its owner's truck went ape on the property of a Home Depot parking lot. And the worker there recently, this was in Florida, it was a domesticated spider monkey, so one of those little ones, its name was Spanky. But it went wild in the parking lot after it somehow got loose from the truck and it did have a leash on. And then one of the women who was working for Home Depot um, was trying to get this spider monkey and help to capture it to get it back to its owner. And so she quietly got the monkey's leash when it crawled up on her back. And, I mean, if you're not animal friendly, that might be kind of scary. But it bit her twice. And then when Spanky climbed down off of the woman's back, she got a hold of the leash again. She wasn't going to give up. And she walked this tiny monkey to the front door of the store to look for the owner. And then when the, the sliding glass doors open, how they do, that kind of freaks out some pets. And it did. The monkey got scared, bit her on the arm and on the hand. And it wasn't even the monkey's first visit to the store. The owner said that the monkey has usually done really well and loves the Home Depot store. They even made her an apron once. Oh, that is uh, that is weird. That is bizarre. Where did this happen again? Florida. Florida. Oh, I, yeah, Okokochi or oh. excuse me if you live in Florida. I'm, a British cat has been given the title of the oldest living cat in the world. Hal, I'm doing the story for you because you. you are the cat guy. So this cat has just celebrated its 30th birthday. Can you imagine? Holy moly. Yeah, its name is Rubble, and it has been with his mom since she got him as a kitten on her 20th birthday. She turned 20 in May of 1988. Jeez. Wow. That's so extraordinary. Yeah, she's, isn't that amazing? So she's... This cat, maybe its longevity is attributed to, you know, having a caring owner. And, and she's never had children, but so she's always cared for Rubble as, you know, like her child. So he's had the same owner all this time and received extraordinary care. 
He does have a, a blood pressure problem right now, but is doing really well. They've been inseparable all this time. Uh, but the oldest cat ever, according to the record books, is actually Cream Puff. Cream Puff was born on August 3rd, 1967, and lived 38 years and three days. That seems almost impossible, 38. doesn't it? 38. Yeah. That's according to Guinness. Dr. Debbie, have you ever seen anything like this at your office? I have not seen a cat quite to that age. I, I would have to say we've had some in the 20s, but n- I, nothing over 25 that I can recall. Wow. Still, that's a long life. Yes. That is a very long life. I would be so, I mean, that would be so awesome to have to share that long of your life with an animal. As long as it's good, it's quality time. You know, I mean, you, know, you can drag things out for people too and, and not live in quality right. life for a long time. So that's my wish. I'm Lori Brooks. Get more breaking animal news anytime at animalradio.com. Are you saying you want to be euthanized if the quality of your life is not? I do. I yeah. do. I want the option. I mean, I'm not going to judge now, but. You never know. This has been an Animal Radio News Update. Get more at AnimalRadio.com. You're listening to Animal Radio. If you missed any part of today's show, visit us at AnimalRadio.com or download the Animal Radio app for iPhone and Android. It's Animal Radio celebrating the connection with our pets. And our next guest has our studio divided and the phone lines ringing (laughs) red hot or white hot, should I say. Uh, Of course, we've been talking about it for the last, since we started the show pretty much, do we love our pets too much? I come from the the school of thought that, no, I don't. I, I will pamper them. I will spoil them. I will do whatever it takes to get medical care to them. Dr. Debbie, now, on the other hand, you, you think that maybe I'm probably a little over the edge. Although, well, you, I, I think that, you know, animals shouldn't replace human interaction and, you know, that they shouldn't surpass the importance of your human relationships. So that's kind of my thing. And that's coming from a lady who has several uh, clothing <laughs> options in her closet for her dog. <laughs> yes, but my husband's still allowed to sleep in bed. It's not like I make him sleep out in the doghouse, you know. <laughs> He's still more important to me. So well, I'll have to say that, right? <laughs> we welcome Clay Rutledge, Dr. Clay Rutledge. He's an author. He's a psychological scientist. And he says that perhaps we're too attached to our pets. Welcome to the show, doctor. Thanks for having me. So now what is this that you think that uh, I'm crazy and uh, that I shouldn't spend so much time prioritizing my animal? No, so I, I would reframe it a little bit and say, well, first of all, I'm, a, I'm an animal lover as, as well. In fact, I, there's a general rule in my family that I'm not allowed to go to places in which there's an opportunity for me to bring home an animal because I undoubtedly will. So t- to me, the issue really isn't do we love our pets too much as much as what does it say about the human condition that we are so attached to our pets? You know, so it's, to me, it's more of what does it signal about maybe deficits in other areas, then it says anything about what our pets deserve or, or, or any of that. Though we can certainly speak about some concerns that I think we would all share about the risks to animals of, of treating them more like they have human qualities than they actually do. Well, I'm a baby boomer, just on the tail end of it, the real tail end of it. When I was a kid, the dog was in the backyard. He was in a dog house. He was never allowed inside. Now, of course, it's a, it's a completely different story. The dog sleeps in bed with me, and I will wake up with a backache because I've maneuvered my way around just to find a comfortable position, not to upset him. <laughs> Millennials 
And I, I see that the millennials now, instead of having families, are bringing pets in as their children. Are yes. You- well, so there's a lot of debate as to why that is the case. You know, issues ranging from the economic costs associated with children to people being too busy. But there is some interesting research um, relating issues like loneliness to pet ownership and also trends related to the delaying of marriage and um, having children. And these things seem to correspond with increased pet ownership and not just people having pets, but the more they, um, there's this term in psychology called anthropomorphism, which is when you treat things or animals that aren't humans as if they have human cognitive qualities. And so we're seeing more of this. I've seen people, you know, maybe you as well, I've seen people walking down trails with their dogs and baby strollers when presumably be much, assuming their dogs aren't, you know, injured in any way, it would be better for them to be walking. I've seen people trying to feed their dogs human food. That's not necessarily best for their nutritional needs. Um, I saw this really insane story. I think it was on Slate of this trend for millennial hipsters to not vaccinate their dogs, which speaks to two different, <laughs> two different, you know, yeah. you know, crazy beliefs. Which is one, they believe in the the false idea of the vaccinations cause autism, and two, they think that their dogs can get autism. And so there's these kinds of trends that I don't think it's just necessarily bad, you know, shows that some, you know, some kind of bad state that that we're in as a social species. But also there's some real risk to animals. You know, there's some real risk to neglect and abuse and of treating animals not like animals, but like they're they're fully part of the human species. Where do you draw the line? And I know it's it's not a line that's easy to see, but where do you draw the line between being over the top with your pet and just being a regular pet owner? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. And, you know, to be clear, I don't think it's the case that most pet owners are doing this. You know, what, you know, what we, you know, I'm sure most pet owners have a, a perfectly healthy relationship with, with their pets. Um, but what, you know, I don't know where the line is, but, you know, I think people need to be educated about what they can expect from an animal. So when I wrote this article that, you know, that has you guys divided, you know, I can't even tell you the amount of hate mail that I received. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was fascinating to me because so much of it was humans are trash, humans are garbage, you're garbage. And in a way, it just spoke to my point, right, that people don't have a lot of faith in humanity, that people don't. And, you know, there's poll numbers supporting this. People are less likely across urban, rural and suburban areas of our country. They're less likely to feel strongly attached to their community. They're less likely to feel like there's people, there's people that they can confide in. And so I think what we're seeing is, you know, at some level, uh, we have to be clear that there's plenty of people that have perfectly healthy relationships with their pets, and these aren't the people that you know I'm talking about here. But at some level, there's something going on in which people are so desperate for that human connection that they're elevating their dogs to be, you know, to expect more from them than they really can. Hang tight for one second. We got to take a quick break. We're with Dr. Clay Rutledge, telling us that maybe we love our animals too much. Just some of us. Just some of us. Hi, friends. This is Dr. Marty Becker, America's veterinarian. After a traumatic experience at the veterinary office, have you ever thought to yourself, there has to be a better way? 
When your veterinarian is Fear Free certified, you'll find your pet's vet visit is safer, more comfortable, and actually enjoyable. Your dog will go from shaking in the lobby to pulling you into the exam room with a wagon tail, and your cat will be purring inside the carrier. To find a certified Fear Free veterinarian near you, go to fearfreepets.com. Here are today's automotive news headlines. I'm Nick Miles. 93% of people listen to music in their cars, so why not make sure that your vehicle has the best sound system available? That's exactly what Acura did in the new RDX. 28-time Grammy nominee and 8-time Grammy winner, producer Elliot Shiner, tuned the system. Who better to put together the system than the man that recorded artists like the Foo Fighters and Queen? This new ELS audio system has 16 speakers and 710 watts of audio. To see the best deals on cars, go to ourautoexpert.com. Come. Think O'Reilly Auto Parts for all of your car needs. We're close, convenient, and known for our guaranteed everyday low prices and excellent customer service from professional parts people you can trust. Stop by your local O'Reilly Auto Parts today. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. This portion of Animal Radio is underwritten by Brilliant Pad, proud to support the animal shelter and rescue community. The Brilliant Pad Shelter Program donates products for fundraisers and for use by shelters and foster families. Adopting families can get a free Brilliant Pad system. Their website's brilliantpad.com slash shelters. And thanks, Brilliant Pad, for underwriting Animal Radio. Do you love your animals too much? We're talking with Dr. Clay Rutledge now, an author and psychological scientist. Not a week goes by that we don't have a story about an airline that has turned away somebody because they can't have their emotional support animal with them. When we use animals for emotional support, is that going across the line? Uh, well, again, it's, you know, it's, it's complicated because there is certainly work that suggests that animals are, are you know, an excellent source of comfort. So there's work with elderly people, for instance, who might not have, you know, who might be widowed or living alone or have you know, um, disability issues that make it hard for them to get out. They're living in assisted living facilities. And having a dog can make the difference between, you know, feeling depressed or feeling like you've got a purpose. And so I do think it's certainly the case that animals and anyone who's a, who is an animal owner or an animal lover will, will say that dog, you know, dog, well, all, you know, pets are just comforting. And, and so that's fine, but that's a different issue than whether or not they have you know, a, a scientifically established clinical um, effectiveness. And there just really isn't much, much evidence for that, that you need to take an emotional animal, support animal with you in order to be psychologically functional. Why is it that, okay, so if, if a person is, um, you know, taking this the wrong way and that they're replacing human interaction with animals or with their pets, why is that happening? So the, you know, so there's one component that I think is to this, this, this loneliness problem or this social disconnection problem. And one of the unfortunate characteristics uh, of loneliness, uh, you know, and just general social disconnection is that it kind of perpetuates itself because when people feel lonely or excluded or ostracized, their brain kind of switches to a more defensive position in which they become extremely vigilant about further social loss, right? They don't want to get hurt again. They don't want to be rejected again. And so what that can make them do is take fewer social risks. So they're less likely to go out and want to meet people. They're more, you know, so they're more avoidant. And so if they're directing that social energy, trying to meet their social needs with their pets, 
then that's an easier, it feels like a safer way to try to meet your belongingness needs than to have to actually go out and deal with human beings, which again, I'm, I, I got dozens and dozens of emails essentially confirming that saying, well, humans are trash. I've only been treated horrible by people. You can't trust people. You can't depend on people. Whenever I come home from work, my dog is always happy to see me. <laughs> and so I think you see that kind of reinforcement which again can feel, you know, there's there's nothing wrong with being happy to see your dog or, you know, having a relationship with your dog. But I think the question we have to ask is what is that? Is that indicating something that's missing in terms of human relationships? There is. To me, it's, it's a red flag. We have a, a library here where they have a dog that comes in and the kids get to read to the dog because the dog won't criticize them, tell them that they're reading poorly. And I think that's what we find in all of our animals is kind of a... They don't judge. They're non-judgmental. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's, it's very easy to, to make that your best friend. No, I think so. I mean, there was, a, you know, there's been some research, I think this was a couple decades ago in psychology, that was, you know, this concept called contingencies of self-worth. And the idea was that, you know, people's sense of self-esteem or, you know, people's sense of self-confidence comes in part from the contingencies other people put on them. What do you have to do to be accepted by others? And interestingly, this was one of the arguments that was made for the positivity of religion that part of makes religion so comforting is the sense that God loves you no matter what. Like God intrinsically values that. And I'm not trying to compare pets to God by any means, but you know, you can get that kind of sense that you're, these animals love you no matter, or you feel like they love you no matter what. And there's something very affirming about that when you have to go out in the world and deal with people who may only like you conditionally or will, you know, will only reinforce you conditionally. Interesting stuff. I put a link over at the website to your article if you want to learn more about what the doctor, Dr. Clay Rutledge, is talking about right now. You can head on over to animalradio.pet and click the link over there on today's show. And uh, the phones are, are ringing white hot now. It's a very polarizing topic, apparently. Didn't think when I walked into the studio this morning that the studio would be divided. Doctor, thanks so much for spending time with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Okay, it's time for us to get on out of here. Lori is especially antsy today because you're you're going to pick up another foster. Is that correct? Is this another foster failure you're picking up? It's actually um, somebody is surrendering a dog, and they've had problems with it. So it's kind of going to be a group effort to get this dog. You just never know what to expect. But we're trying. Rescues are really trying on working to be better on animals and to their families that if you surrender thank you for surrendering the dog because we will really do right by it and that's so much you know, better than the way that you just saw a video of somebody that wanted to get rid of their dog judy and yes. they, they, they spray painted free on the free side of it on it and let it go in a park <laughs> See, that's oh, free to right a good thing. home it said well it said free on one one side and i guess the other side might have said to a good home and then they let it loose in a park no. that's... but sometimes you know people who who do give up their dogs they're they're looked upon horribly and stuff. We're just glad that they're giving us the dog. So will this dog come and live with you? Uh, we're going to find a foster for it. And it'll be here probably for a couple of days at least. And who knows, we could end up fostering her. Okay. I salute you for all the hard work you do with all those dogs. Amazing. Oh, thanks. I love it. I love it. If you need your fix during the week, download the Animal Radio app for iPhone, Android, and BlackBerry. Or go to the Animal Radio website at animalradio.pet. We'll see you next week for more Animal Radio right here on this fine station. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Going to love on a foster dog. Stay animal.
is Animal Radio Network. Network.